welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 145. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined, not on the line, but in person, <laughs> with my co-host, Sneaky Pete. How are you today, Pete? Hey, Bruce. Hey, everybody. So, I took the drive out uh, from where I grew up to Bruce's hometown, and I've been hanging out with him for the last few days, and we've been definitely talking all things Magic the Gathering, so... That's a good thing. Um, again, if you like what you're hearing, our content is on the Lotus Council website, and it's circulating on various discords um, in that regard. And Bruce? Perfect. All right. Uh, as always, folks, if you'd like to get a hold of us, be sure to check out the, so- the show notes for all the ways to reach out to us, both email and through social media. Um, we'd love to have you guys interact with us, so please, please, please go ahead, check them out, send us your mail, send us all that good stuff. We love to have people interact with us. Yeah, and uh, we're we're always up for debate, so let's yeah, run it. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to start tonight. We're going to have some garbage agree, but it's not really garbage agree. I thought since we're in person, we've had a week of uh, checking out fun stuff and doing things a little bit different instead yeah. of being, you know, having to do everything remotely. It might be fun to have a time to talk about some of the cards that, from the past year that we've really enjoyed or have really got us excited. It's funny, when you're with someone that you've been playing with for a long time, and you're able to deck build together or brainstorm ideas about decks you want to try to make work, it was really helpful for both of us to sit down this week together, uh, added folding chairs and some tables, and just review our decks, and that maybe decks we haven't looked at in several years, or in my case, I was trying to make a deck work, and Bruce was helping me edit that, and then he was trying to make a deck work, I was helping him, so we also just went through, we were like, oh, like, we love this mechanic that they brought back. We love these cards, so this is what we're going to do today. Absolutely. Um, so, for me, I want to start off. Um, for me, I really have appreciated the some of the Universe Beyond um, cards that have been added to some of the stats as like an additional page. So, we had it in March of the Machines. We had a lot of the legendary creatures come up. Uh, but in Brothers War, we had uh, we had Transformers cards come, come up as part of a Universes Beyond uh, approach. And I was a huge fan of Optimus Prime. Now, that's a nostalgia piece more than the right. power level of the card. It's personal uh, for you. It's personal. It's very personal. Because I was, I was telling Pete this week, when I was a boy, um, I was able to walk home for lunchtime and to have lunch at home. And when I came home, uh, I ran home at lunch and had my you know peanut butter sandwich or whatever little Bruce was eating. But on the TV, there was... Um, they had broadcast cartoons at lunchtime. And for a long, when I was in grade one and grade two, Transformers was on at lunch, and I loved it. So I'd have my peanut butter sandwich or my hot dog or whatever I eat, and uh, I was – oh, i got to pause this now. That's a good point. All right, so, yeah. Um, yeah, Optimus Prime was uh, was my was my favorite character from the cartoon as a child. So when they reprinted Optimus Prime, or I guess read it, printed, but printed it for the first time um, with uh, the Brothers War, I was very excited, and I had to go get myself a foily copy of Optimus Prime and build a commander deck around him. I was very excited, um, unreasonably so. And uh, I have to say, it's my standout card for this year, just because of the of the, such nostalgia. What about you, there, uh, Pete? What was what's some things yeah, that yeah. got you excited this year? So I'm going to go with the Universe Beyond card first as well. Um, I actually traded for this from a friend recently. I had no idea this card existed until they did the D and D movie. Um, and if those of you don't know, that movie I've heard is very good. I haven't got the chance to see it yet, 
but I, I've heard people really rave about it. So they made four or five cards um, that are characters from that movie. Um, and this one, Zenk, Palladin Unbroken, is a legendary human knight. So that's relevant because a lot of humans are knights and everything. Um, and it's four, four, four pips, two white and two colorless. Uh, it's double strike and RNG control have exalted. So it is one of those cards where like, I put it on the table, people looked at it and said, oh, that's not a huge deal. And then when I put three R's on a creature with menace, um, they die. So yeah. it's one of those cards where I, I didn't even know it existed. My buddy had it in a, in a binder and I was like, this, this thing is a house. This, yeah, this feels like a problem. And, uh, yeah, and if you think about it, audience, if you objectively, think about it. All the, uh, all the Auras decks that are out there, many of them are running a, a lot of white. Yeah. And so this is going to be... A lot of the best Auras are white. And then, I mean, the best commanders that we know of uh, are, are white. Light Paws is one of the top Arcs commanders. Uh, Light Paws, Killian, uh, the, any, any of the enchantment decks that are right. looking to suit stuff up. Um even last we were playing the other night with Nick, and he had yeah, Estrid. Yeah, Nick, my, my friend Estrid, playing Estrid. She's full of enchantments, yeah. and now every aura you put on a thing gives like you put an aura on Isn't a lane. Totem armor. Yeah. I mean, the synergy, yeah. even if they have to block, is is a, is a nightmare. It's a beating. So anyway, Zank is very very cool, and I have to say. What's your next card? My next one's oh, not a commander card. I have to. I'm not going to lie, folks. <laughs> this is not a commander card. This is me being. Me being an absolute piece of garbage um, in, in Brawl. <laughs> but uh, Portal to Phyrexia, from, also from Brothers War, which is like this massive nine-mana artifact. Uh, now, so when it enters the battlefield, each opponent sacrifices three creatures, which is a pretty potent effect. Like, anytime you make you know people sack more than one creature, this is a problem. It's good in certain deck strategies, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm thinking like Black Market with this card just goes bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, at the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It's a Phyrexian in addition to its other types. So, presumably, the idea being, you're going to start stealing stuff. Now, in a multiplayer game, this is pretty rubbish, because it's so much mana. It's nine mana to cast this thing. In a multiplayer game, this game is over before you ever cast this thing. It'll also get removed, probably, before you get to trigger it. Yeah. In most, in most pods. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but on bra- in Brawl... It is, it is funny. It's a game it is it is absolutely a house, <laughs> and you go put you go do something gross, and you know if you if you can build it either way, you can build it as a self mill deck where you dump your scary things in the graveyard, yeah, or, you them. yeah, or you retake reanimate your thing your opponent's things, and depending yeah. on which was ever more more advantageous to you. There's a deck out there in standard as well. It's a flicker deck in Boros colors, which is weird because normally obviously Boros is meant to just beat you in the face every time. But it revolves around that card from Aftermath. Um, it's a five mana enchantment that you can exile any number of artifacts. Nahiri's Resolve, I think. Let's double check. You keep talking, I'll look up Nahiri's Resolve. Yeah, so they, they just flicker these scary things, like Portal. Yeah, so Nahiri's Resolve reads, reads three red, white enchantment. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one, have haste. At the beginning of your end step, exile any number of non-token artifacts under creatures you control, including Portal to Phyrexia, if you really want to get down to it. Um, turn those cards to the battlefield under their owner's control at the beginning of your upkeep. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's one of those, it's one of those uh, cards we'll look back in a few years and just laugh because we remember how hard it was to play against it and play with it. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it's nostalgic in its own right already. Uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's, you, don't, you don't see it very much as standard anymore. Yeah. Um, but it is pretty remember funny. When you, remember when you went to Phyrexia? You know, the, the portal to Phyrexia. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and uh, all right. Next, Pete. What did, what are the cards that you have your eyes on this year that uh, got you excited or wanted you to build stuff and build new decks or new tech and things? What were you doing? Um. Well, this, I'm going to group these two together because they they are similar because they use the same mechanic, and I really like uh, Convoke as a mechanic. I think it's really powerful, and if you could figure out how to break it in half in Commander, it'll do some good things for you. So the first is Invasion of Segovia. I played this in uh, some draft decks and it performed well when I did as a, as a battle. And then once you flip it, it's really, really hard to lose. Um, because you're untapping your creatures at the end step and then other creatures spells you control have Convoke. So I wanted to build the Convoke Caseload deck and upgrade it. So far I haven't got the chance to figure out how to break it, but it's been a struggle because of the color combination and the lack of support of Convoke. I hope they rectify that in the next few years, but I don't really see that happening. But I like Convoke, and I like this card because non-creature spells having Convoke can do some neat things with it, Commander. Uh, especially because they like to cast expensive things in, in the casual games. And then one of the World Souls is really cool. It's an artifact uh, in white. It enters tapped, and you add one white. So it, it's fine. It, it's really nice. But the second call is really nice, especially if you're playing Wii's. Um, you can tap it. The next spell you cast is Trans Convoke. So if you wanted to get out your Avacyn or something for a lot less, um, yeah. you can definitely do some nasty things with this card. So I like those two, and we'll see. We'll see what Wizards decides to do with Convoke. I know they probably won't do anything with them for a while, but there's definitely some flexibility with these two Convoke spells. So. Yeah, no, for sure. The, the pay, and the, the payoff, you know, right now isn't really there for the Kazla deck because... Most yeah. of con most of the convoke stuff seems to have been concentrated in green and white. Right. There's not so much in blue and red, so you're sort of stuck in playing. It's, it's like a weird. It's like you know, you play a control deck and you have some convoke in there. Yeah. Or like some sort of scry and draw two sort of shenanigans. Or you make a tokens deck, but then let's face it, Jeskai colors are meant to play non creature spells anyway. Yeah. And that's, that's what they're meant to do. So absolutely. We'll see what happens. What do you got next? Well, I'm sort of thinking like if I had like, there's lots of cards. There's so many cards that I'm that I'm excited about. Um, you know, whether it's the retro artifacts from Brothers War, which were also very cool. Like there was, you know, reprints of some really powerful things. Um, but I think you know the the reality being some of the cards from Aftermath um, were pretty neat. Um, I kind of was a big fan of so some of the commons, or I guess they're uncommons, but like so Jarena Dauntless General got me thinking because it does two different things. When Jarena Dauntless General enters the battlefield, exile target player's graveyard. So you have a the potential to bog someone's yard. Right, for two. For two, which is that's really efficient for dealing with that. And then you can sacrifice Jarena and humans you control gain hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. So this works with um, the Jarena. They had a, a three-color Jarena deck. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. Pretty synergistic. Uh, that but, one was good. But also, lots of token decks are like soldier decks. They're glass cannons and they're humans. They're glass cannons and they're humans. And right. So this gives you a way, uh, a redundant way to protect your things. It's an onboard trick. Right. And you run this in like Rata Dravic as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you'll get some extra value. So that's fun. I mean, I think a lot of people look back on Aftermath and just sort of 
find some gems for their decks. You know what I mean? People really skip this this sort of thing over because everybody was upset about the limited printing and the limited amount of cards. Absolutely. I think so that's probably why, right? There'd be a lot of people, yeah, who, who overlooked it or skipped by it pretty quickly and they're going to go back and find some really great tools for, for stuff. Sure. What about you? What, anything yeah. else? Yeah, I got two Marshall Machine cards. One's an Aftermath card, so why don't we start with that? Sure. Um, this card didn't work in my tokens deck in Naya. Um, and it doesn't really glue doesn't do, which is draw cards attached to it. So, sorry, Vizier Mike and I talked about it earlier in another show, but this card is very good. It's very good in standard when we were playing standard brawl. It's just a very good card for its cost, um, and I've enjoyed playing it. I, you know, I can't I can't lie when I say I love drawing cards for card games. So <laughs> what? You like drawing cards? No <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then the last one is Arunthion Hero of Lavenbrink, which is a funny meme red card. I mean, this one is, uh, I have to say, a very peat card. Yeah. This is a peat card. So I put it in my Jax's deck because the, the deck is meant to just copy a bunch of value creatures. And then this card well, actually can win me games if I can pay 9 for its activated ability. Um, but the first activation is like a key jiki it's only, but it's only at sorcery speed, and you have to pay a red and a, a colorless for it, and tap Orotheon. Second clause is uh, six colorless, three red, so it is expensive. Um, create five tokens that are copies of another target creature you control, and gain haste and sacrifice and three the next time step. Activate only as a sorcery. This is really fun um, with cards like Terry Peaks, right? It's just. Oh my goodness. One red just burn to the max. Um, and then death triggers too, so like. If you're playing the red creatures that care about death, more storm surge, and then there's the creature body that does it. That's an avatar or something. I forget what it's called, but that and even like Wormquill Engine. Like I, I've made I've made five copies of Wormquill Engine and swung it at somebody before. So that's that's a thing. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah, that's a problem. Um, again, this this card is very slow uh, for for what red likes to do. It's not necessarily the best they printed in the past four or five years. But if you like to have fun, like I do. Even now, it's a human. So mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the human precon, but you're going to throw some that human precon was in a game that way. That is true. So, so it has some it has some utility to it as a card. That that is that is very true. The fact is, a human subtype is a thing, and it's a soldier. So human soldier, so yeah. I also would argue that nine mana sounds like an awful lot, but when you're in when you're in red and you're making treasure tokens because you're doing things, or you play a mana geyser, or... play mana rocks, even. Like, yeah. somebody, a lot of people will play Hedron Archive anyway. That's that's four mana for two. And then there's uh, the Hearthstone that reduces it by one color. Yeah. The Training Center, if you're yeah. red and blue. So, yeah, I've done it before. It hasn't been that difficult to pull off. Uh, people will kind of shake their head when I do it, but that's their fault. I'm telling you right? <laughs> I think the card... I think that, that card is spicy. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's a, that is definitely a peat pick, for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, let's move on to some segment two. We're talking about um, the epic experiment in person, where we have been together playing cards, slinging spells, and for how many years now? Four? Well, probably for three or four for, for sure. Since since the pandemic. Since the pandemic. So. So let's call it three, three. conservatively. Yeah. But now we have to do it in person, and that was and it's been a real it was a real real treat, real pleasure. So we got to meet in person, yeah. and Pete was kind enough to drive up all the way up here to. Uh, to uh, very sweaty and stinky Middle stink- nowhere. Uh, Ontario, yeah. I'm <laughs> um, got to meet in person. And I have to say, um, this is the first time I've had a parasocial relationship. And by parasocial, I mean like 
if you're online or you're meeting, you chat on Discord or you talk on Facebook, but you never actually get a chance to be together and, and be and in yeah. person. It's a parasocial relationship. And so our parasocial friendship, we got to be able to actually got to get together and, and meet in person yeah. and play, and that's cool. That's yeah. been a lot of fun. You could argue this was the epic experiment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To make sure, like, there's a difference between being friends and sharing a podcast together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a difference between being on Discord, chatting with people, you know, through that medium and meeting someone in person because you never know how these people will act. So it's uh, it's it's been a wonderful thing, and I hope you come to the States soon. I would love to have you. I would love to come down and have a visit and see if we can't uh, connect and maybe find a few other people that we know. Um, if you do come down, we'll go. If I'm in Pennsylvania, I'll, I'll take you to some of the local stores in my area. And if I'm still in D.C., I'll take you to the largest uh, selection of cars on the eastern seaboard. There's a store out in, in Silver Spring, Maryland that has a huge selection of cars. They have a robotic card sorter. So. Wow, it's, it's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Excellent. <laughs> note, note to self, folks, planning the trip to D.C. as we speak. <laughs> All right. Um, the other thing that's been a benefit here is like having – I have had the unfortunate situation over the last number of years of brewing decks pretty much by myself. Yeah. I know everyone goes like, oh, check out my list. They post it to Discord or they post it to a, to a Facebook group or whatever. But really, most whoever – Most people don't even look. No, most people don't look. And even if you do, it's like – I would include this card, or I'd do this. These four cards. Are well, yeah. and it's, yeah, that's about it, right? Yeah. So it's not really the most helpful feedback or advice. But when you have, you and a buddy sit down side by side, you lay the cards out on the table, and you go, all right. That's let, what I'm trying to do. <laughs> let, let's talk about this. And It's like a, it's like a. It's like, <laughs> intervention. It's like intervention, it's, yeah. It's like a deck doctoring, but it's like. I'm like holding your hand, you're holding my hand. Yeah, I was like, it's like are we going to get there? Are we going to get, get there? there? Nobody knows. So, um, but yeah, no, I found that having the second perspective of somebody in person looking at the cards with me side by side and say, hey, what about that card? Sometimes we're super harsh, but that's because we care about the deck running. So like, it's funny, Bruce will be like, why do you play that card? That card is poo. And I'm like, well, I want to do this with it. I'm like, well, I guess you could try, but maybe you just try this card, you know? Or like, I'd be like, Bruce, why are you running this card? You strictly have better cards in your collection. I've seen them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this man's got a box of fetch lands that are not in deck right now, and I, and I question his sanity sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> it was funny because Pete was looking through boxes of, of, of stuff. Boxes that, and boxes. And, and, and not, not bulk, but they're, they're cards that are like, not <laughs> you're currently using. Yeah, playables, absolutely. And he's like, oh my gosh, like, buddy, why aren't you playing? He pulls out, you know, 20, 30 cards. Like, what are you doing with all these? And I'm like, uh. There were even cards in there that I'm like, this should go into this deck because I'd seen your decks enough at this point that. I was like, this card might actually work in this deck you're trying to build, yeah. this deck you're trying to use. And you were like, oh, this deck, this card might work with your deck. Yeah. Like uh, Dreamscape Familiar, the, the yeah. Familiar card. You know what yeah. I mean? So <laughs> it was great. And, and I mean, getting to just play together in person is just a whole, it's just a better experience than playing online. I mean, it, re- it really is. I, there's no there's no substitute. I mean, we've been very fortunate over the pandemic uh, to have had the ability to play through Spell Table. And, and when you, I'll be honest, folks, there's. Uh, there's something to that where the simplicity of going down to my to my computer setup yeah. and firing it up and like you know jumping on and I'm in my own home. I don't have to drive to a store. I don't have to deal with people touching my cards. I don't have to deal with you know all all that stuff. But the experience is a lot harder. You're not seeing someone's face. You're not seeing someone's reaction. Yeah. You're just having to rely on. You know, the you're looking at their 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 their, their playmat and whatever's on the table and their communication with you. 
I'd much rather play in person every and single time. The funny thing is the challenge with both of us last few years, we haven't really had that opportunity. Oh. If you really think about it, I mean, Bruce, you have a few groups of friends, but you guys all work. You all have pretty much all have kids, so you're busy. And then I was in school and also working uh, a few jobs. So it's just, it was hard. So it's kind of nice to, like, take a little bit of a chill pill for a few days and just focus on what we enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other piece that's been fun is we got a chance to draft together. Um, so we've been had a chance to go get online and play on Arena and, dra- and do some drafting there. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> some of us have had more success than others. <laughs> I mean, we're going to cube tonight, right? With your brother. Yes, we're going to cube tonight. So I probably won't be that good, but it'll be fun nonetheless to learn, like, learn some things. I feel like everything we've done, we've learned a little bit more, more about ourselves as players. Yeah, for right? sure. So. so, yeah, but having having a chance to draft two people, two heads You'd think we'd be better than one, but I'm not always sure. Maybe the algorithm just says, well, we can sense there's more than one person in the room right now. Yeah. I don't know. know. Um, So. Non-magic stuff. I mean, we did some some great things. Bruce's kids are a blast. They're they're hilarious. Yeah. Um, They have And they really enjoyed having Pete come and visit. (laughs) Uh, You know, they they kept saying, whose car is that, Dad? Well, it's Pete. Is Pete sleeping at our house? Yes, he's, he's sleeping in the other room over there. He's like, and then we went, and Pete came with us to go to see the fireworks on Canada Day. Oh, yes. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, we had, we had, we had, you know. We went to downtown Ottawa. That was yeah, I went down to downtown Ottawa oh, and showed him yes. around. So that was, that's always. We traded with each other. We, tra- <laughs> we traded. People, people still trade cards. Isn't it's a true? trading card game, and we <laughs> traded cards. We did what the game told us to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it was fun. It was, it was so refreshing because so many times we have. Assume that every time people exchange cards, there's a mi- there's a financial exchange right. of cash money. Like I give you this twenty dollars, and you give me those yes. three cards, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just to trade cardboard for cardboard, it was so much even, more refreshing. Even I, I've, I've always gotten sort of uncomfortable with certain people who ask for my trade binder because one, it's a mess, and so, <laughs> most of it is just playable cards that I've, I've been intending to play, and I'm worried that someone's going to pull them out and not tell me, or you know. Pull an expensive card. It's okay. I have a box. Right, but right. So I don't feel as bad. But, <laughs> but um, I guess it was nice because I trust Bruce. Right. We we play. We know each other. We play with each other, and it was cool. To like, oh, I need this card for deck. Hey, take it. I feel better you having it, and then me having it sit in my like bulk or in my collection. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we knew like this. I, I hey, I would like this stack of cards. I'm like, well, I would like this stack of cards. Great, let's like call it even and just yeah. move on. It was great. great. We traded playable cards for playable cards, and that was great. Yeah. So I have to say we that had some reflections. I'd say. Yeah. Like we're moving through. Yes. About I mean, EDH. We learned a lot this week. We did. Um, we had a really neat experience. So for the very first time ever, I went into an LGS to play. EDH. I can't believe you've never actually yeah. played an LGS before. I have never played EDH in an LGS. I have always played with a playgroup of friends in someone's basement or their living room or wherever. Um, so I've never had a chance to go into an LGS. So it's a whole new experience for me. And so we went into a store in Ottawa and we sat down and everyone was sort of engaged in their game. Just yeah. So we sort of sat down, the two of us played one on one. And eventually, you know, the guys next to us like, hey, do you want to, like, one guy's leaving, do you want to? Make a pot of four, and that like that I never had that experience of having to play with complete and utter random people. Yeah, and we these were people are absolute strangers that we had never seen before, and we made a we made a five person pod. Did we start with five or did we do four? Well, we had four, and then and the, then, five, and then, then, then the young guy joined in, right? So yeah, there was four yeah, of us, yeah. like because we had 
that when the one guy show up and then one know, guy left the, the table, yeah, the other guy replaced him. The, the, the nice thing about this store was the place space was amazing. It was quite good. And they even sold food and drinks there. I've never seen it before. They had like a cafe attached to the actual shop. And they were coming around with glasses of water. Well, they were coming around with glasses of water because they because it was so warm in the store. So that was appreciated too. I have to give kudos. Uh, we're not sponsored, but the Wizards Tower in Ottawa was they were. Maybe we should find out a way to promote that. In maybe. Products, you know? Maybe. Um, we might, might have to do some investigation. They had an excellent selection of D and D product. I got my uh, my girlfriend a nice little mini, and then, I mean, they had everything you really could need at a, at a store. They had, they had yeah, pretty good selection of stuff. I'm, I'm going to be honest, folks. I know many of you are in the United States. Your pri- the pricing is different. Yeah, Welcome unfortunately, to- I asked them. They don't ship abroad. It's too expensive. So. But uh, anyway, the store itself was quite positive. And I had the first time ever sitting down to play with people that I had just met literally five minutes ago to right. play Magic with. Right. So we had, we had some, some interesting games. We oh, had some very yes. interesting games. Um, we met a lot of different people. Yeah, we did. So let's 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 start with the impact of what we saw, like the decks that we saw, um, because yes. we we saw we definitely saw the impact of the food deck precon from Lord Especially. of the Rings, and then we saw the human the Jeskai tribal human deck. Right. Um, haven't seen. I haven't really seen the elf deck or the Sauron deck in action. I haven't. Unfortunately, didn't get to play it with Bruce yet. Um, but I, I I'm going to show you the list. Mm. I'm going to show you what it wants to do. Yeah. And then Sora and I have it sealed. I, I actually opened it yet. Yeah. So let's talk about the food deck first. So one of the characters at the store, um, we will, we'll, we'll, for privacy's sake, we're not going to divulge names, but he was playing the pre-con, an upgraded pre-con deck of the Frodo and Sam uh, food deck. Now, what was your what was your inclination around that deck? What did you notice that, that one when you saw it in action? The deck is quite quite aggressive. For its colors, in regards to it tempts the ring often early. Mm-hmm. The food token production is, is insane, mm-hmm. and the value engine that it, that it accrues is impressive. Um, as the standard partner that it comes with, that you're meant to start playing with it, I think, and Bruce probably agrees with me, they're better than the second commanders that are, that are in the deck. And it doesn't take a lot to upgrade this deck to make it really, really uh, a menace. To play I would agree. I think um, Frodo and Sam make the make the superior combination. I know that there are big podcasts out there that have advocated for Merry and Pippin. I think they're 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 going for more of a uh, go wide creature strategy. But yes. in terms of st- straight sheer value and what the cards are meant to do to make the foods, those two are just they should be synergistic Agreed. and very very quickly you can get them out immediately. Yeah. So my what I observed so with this are the, the our our player who was on the food deck. I'd upgraded it. There was like smothering tithe and some other, you know, some token producers, token producers, yeah, token doublers, I think. Um, yeah, and some pretty and some and some pretty reasonable upgrades uh, that I, you know, if you had a, you know, budget of, I would say, you know, 100, 150 bucks, sure, you'd probably, you know, take it in this direction. And the deck, un, like unabashedly accrued value. Ran well. Yeah. Oh, it ran well. The mana was good. The the value accrued was very was various was astonishing. Um, I couldn't believe the number yeah. of tokens it produced and what it could do with those tokens in very short order. The other thing is like uh, just the way the way it goes. It's like okay, turn one if you don't have ramp, you just pass. Turn two, you play one of the two. Turn three, you start swinging with the one and bring out the other one, and then you just you just you gain a ton of life. 
and mm-hmm. just and it just keeps going. If no one keeps that deck unchecked, they will blow you up. Yep, blow absolutely. Up sure. They'll blow you right out. Now the other piece, though, <laughs> I think the deck f- is a is a is a weakness that needs to be addressed by the food command by the food deck. Is that if you're playing it, you need to be aware that people who have um, effects that are going to punish the sacrificing of of artifacts. So any clues, treasures, um, blood, blood uh, uh, whatever, whatever blue. the tr- yeah. Like all this stuff, yeah, yeah. Whatever the whatever the effect is, that's going to allow you to, to punish artifacts. Punish artifacts. So Viridian Revel was one to the, that Pete played to great effect. Oh, so it was our third game. I think it was third game. Yes, it was third game. We had a player who uh, played a five color Kenrith good stuff deck. Um, with he had it was it was interesting. He had uh, Consecrated Sphinx out. Then um, we had another player. Who was playing um, the food deck? We had me. I was playing lunch, and we had you were playing. Uh, it was on Megatron. You were playing Megatron. So I drew about thirty to fifty cards in that game, just because of the amount of treasures and clues this person was cracking. Because he and I both had some other cards out at the same time. At one point, I blew up his, and then he had about twenty treasures. Then I played Magnetic Mine later in the game. And uh, Bruce died because he had two artifact creatures, and the other guy played Damnation. So he ended up killing Bruce. <laughs> and then a magnetic mine is like every time an artifact is put into a grave and played, its controller d- takes two damage. So he couldn't crack any of his stuff anymore. And the Concentrated Sphinx player drew about, I don't know. He drew 25 cards and he stopped. He, he drew 25 cards and he stopped, which means I literally outdrew him. As a, <laughs> in a, it was just ridiculous. So. Brilliant Revel is definitely those, those anti-tech cards that will, that will reward you for greedy plays, I guess. And Magnetic Mine is a punishing card that is hilarious, to be honest. No one knows about that card uh, beyond a few people. And then uh, Kataki and some of those other classic artifact hate cards like Yashar yeah. are going to be very, very good against this deck. Yeah, so you need to be, you need to be mindful of like, and if you have a playgroup or a meta where that's going to include a lot of these sorts of decks, the heavy treasure, heavy food, heavy clue, heavy blood token decks that you're going to need to be mindful of that these people are going to pack these things to counter that sort of strategy. Like any sort of super value deck, as the food player, you're responsible to allow your deck to continue to run, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So like in response to these stacks and these other sorts of pieces, you should be playing some sort of removal package that allows you to continue to do the stuff you're able to do. Where this uh, player unfortunately didn't ha- either didn't have it or didn't draw into it. I think he hadn't thought of it. I think I really. I did think it. he was just really heavy on. I want to just make it to the food tokens. So I think the food mechanic is neat. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Like that's fine. Well, absolutely, that's fine. And then we have to. And you. But then you have it was to know. Just funny, right? Because yeah. It was. Like, it was. You're looking at it across the table at me, and I'm like literally forcing draws, and I had my whole deck in my hand. I think the, I think the only concern that might you you might have had in the back of your brain was that if this guy doesn't myself. yeah if this guy doesn't quit here I'm gonna deck myself because this yeah. guy's going ham so yeah. now cool stuff very very explosive deck lots of great things to be done and I think there's a lot of space in there to um, add and adjust and tweak it as we as we go uh, next we had the human tribal list um, <laughs> with the with Jeskai yeah. colored uh, led by Aon Shield Warden now you. 
have that deck yourself. It's just a precon. Yeah. But I played it with you. We tested it a few times. Yes. It just blew people out. It blew it blew people out, and the amount of value created by the like, AON itself generates so many tokens yep. that it is that is legitimately concerning. You don't even need to play good human creatures. You just need to get something to come in. I mean, yeah. there's a card in that deck that's fantastic. It is a 3-1 with first strike for 4. And it, and it like, makes a token at your upkeep. Oh, boy. So you're literally, you will be guaranteed if anyone sticks around to draw. Then again, it's a pre-con. It doesn't have a ton of removal or protection um, tacked onto it. So you're going to want to be able to protect your board like any te classic tokens deck. But if you if Aelin stays two or three turns, I mean you're, you're smacking the smacking the bejesus out of people. So yeah, and so um, the frontline medic was a huge huge overperformer. Yes. Um, this this was a reprint from Gate Crash. Uh, so if you want to go find it, go dig it's it like out of your. Now, it's like yeah, it's like ten cents, and it's huge overperformer. If you attack with three or more creatures, they all get indestructible. And then uh, Frontier Warmonger, which is a fifteen cent card from Ikoria. Was the other one that basically rendered all your stuff unblockable because it gave your things menace. Yep. And so between those two cards and a and a slew of tokens, the reality was that Eowyn very quickly could turn the corner and punish you into the point where you could not in, in, uh, interact with them anymore. You were just dead. The the monarch in, as a secondary mechanic is even better than I expected because you know how the monarch sort of yep. puts targets on people's backs when you play it. But, like, being able to just cast a human creature that says you become the monarch immediately yeah. is is phenomenal. Um, and then, even though Aowen only makes two twos with Trample and Haste, buffing those things are super easy to do in the deck. So, it, it's a build-yourself sort of deck. It's not that exciting. But I like that they're taking Jeskai and slightly different, like, sort of different thing. Instead yeah. of just being a Spellslinger deck or, like, a control deck. You can kind of make it a fun tribal deck, I guess, but I'm not. I'm not going to be surprised when people tech against this a lot heavily. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those ones that people tech um, put a lot of anti-human hate um, that they know they're going yeah, to face. Yeah, like dominance, for yeah. example, black or running you know three or four board wipes in their deck, which you should probably be doing anyway. But well, yes. All right, and then the third one wasn't so much one of the precons, but. Um, was the fact that basically, but both Pete and I took to great interest in Rona, um, Harbinger, yeah, Har Rona, Harbinger of Invasion, I believe is the one from March of the Machine. So she's the one in a blue, she's a one three, and she has a looting feature to her. Um, or you can flip her over and she becomes a five five that attacks and eats your opponent's hands. You love this card. I think this card's great. <laughs> I think this card is awesome. You love this card, and I hope the audience doesn't get us tired of. Uh, talking about it, but I guess it's one of the coolest things we've seen in a while. I think I think re the reason both you and I have picked up on it, you and I have both identified the fact that anything that untaps other stuff is disgusting. Gross. It's super gross. Like even Crow Sun Restore, your buddy played it last night. I played it in one of my decks. It does work. Incidentally, folks, Crow Sun Restore, go look it up. Very good card. So yeah, things that untap other things for, for no mana cost are silly. And so when Rona has has this text that says you can untap her whenever you cast uh, a legendary spell, yeah. you get this really powerful effect where you're going to fill your yard super fast. The good thing about this card too is it's 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 incredibly flexible how you build the deck. Mm -hmm. Like I ran Oscar the Grouch, um, Oscar rubbish, 
the yeah, the one from Commander Legends. So he's Commander, Commander Legends. Um, he costs less for each different CMC in your, in your graveyard. And you can discard non-land cards and play them from your yard. Oscar Rubbish Reclaimer. So I was playing him, and, and Bruce was playing Rona as the commander. So we were doing some really fun and weird things. Yeah, there were a lot of, and both of us were really into... Like, just pitching our, pitching our cards. Pitching cards all the time. Cards, but, yeah. Like, doing a lot of work. But then what we noticed was that the cards that really pay you off for having discarded cards, so the Drake Havens, the Bone Misers, the... Um, tiny bones. Word, words of waste. Guess more. Yeah, all these things that were just payoffs for discard are probably more salient than ever they've ever been before. Yeah. Because she, and Rona draws you a card. It's a commander that draws a card that's always going to be yeah. on a particular power level. And so I'm of the opinion that you know EDH Rec might say that this is not among the top the top built commanders from from the set. And I you know and, I I mean the combo is only it's it's, it's a glass can combo. I don't think there's many. Other combos in the list besides like no, I like I mean you can do Bone Miser, uh, Library of Lang, and discard a land and just continuously root through your deck with trade roots or something. But I don't know. There's it, it's not even appearing, right? You're not even no, right not now. even. And then well, look at March of the Machine. Is generally um, she's in the top like she's what top thirteen? She's thirteenth in the list, right? With eight hundred and forty three decks. So I think I mean I really think people have missed the missed an opportunity uh, with her because I think she is very very powerful. Um, the untapping capacity on her is silly, yeah. and uh, to, to stuff a few of those discard effects in there or discard payoffs is very modest, and you're going to go ham. I mean, and the combo. I mean, a lot of people know the combo. They talked about this a lot on other podcasts and on YouTube and stuff. Uh, the Mox Oval and Mox Amber combos with with Rona is, is pretty known. Uh, with Retraction, Helix, and Banishing Knack. But you don't even have to build it a combo deck. It nope. kind of combos with its synergy, like making a bunch of tutus with mm -hmm. Miser, or pitching an expensive creature and reanimating it later, or, I mean, even the simple fact of pitching a card with Containment Constructor Oscar and playing it from your yard, I mean, you, you lost nothing. Nope, nothing. Like is So, I, you know, folks, if you're learning, taking anything from us here... If you have a Rona that you've opened it from, you know, the March of the Machine, go back, have a look at it. I think you're going to find you've got, you got a really powerful tool to make something really interesting go off. This also sort of uh, speaks to Wizards, kind of what their power shift is becoming when it comes to making cards, right? Mm, yep. Like, when you would have told me four or five years ago that you got a two-drop, one-three that loots that I could play as a commander, I mean... Okay. That's pretty solid. Yeah. In terms of the power that you can You can generate I think I think people underestimate the power of looting. Um, and so, you know, people used to like lean into Carador, they lean into like uh, Kalia or Moltrotha or Atraxa, and you can get you have a, this little one three that's gonna do a lot of work. It's gonna sculpt your hand into be something terrifying. Right. And then you're gonna be able to maximize your impact to to create to to create potential, and I mean, this reminds me of Sig, really yeah, throat, right? yeah, like the evolution of like how our our bears perform now. Yes, right. So, and then our final thing, we're gonna talk about our gameplay. Oh boy, this was <laughs> one of the most interesting situations I've been in a while. Although I've done the, you know. One of the things we're going to mention is having me before the CDH right. with the inappropriate power level. 
Yeah, we'll have that conversation because that was really that was probably the start of it. So again, we had gone into the LGS Wizards Tower in in, uh, in Ottawa. We sat down to play at a table and we started playing just one v one. And again, like you said, we we built a pod to to play. Yeah. And one of the guys approached us and sat down to play, and he, he pulled out a nice guy, nice guy, very guy, very friendly. We enjoyed playing. Yeah, him. and he opened up his, his his deck box, and out came Paco and Halden. Mm-hmm. And Pete and I both have been doing this long enough where we know every Paco, time you see a Paco and Halden deck, it is going to be rough. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. Rough, rough, rough. Yeah, rough, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so we pulled up Paco and Halden. He says, and he says, "This is a high power deck," and we're like, "Okay." Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, we got some stuff that can hang with that. Yeah, sure. Yes. Um, and it was interesting as we had our we had our, our rule zero conversation. I don't think was bad. I, I, thought, I think there was a miscommunication. I think it was rather the experience of like what is CH deck versus what is a high power deck. Yes. Yeah. And so this this our player sat down and he said, "I'm playing Paco and Halden," and he was quite upfront. He said it's high power. Right. Okay. There's fair some enough. Good stuff in here. Yeah. yeah. We knew that. Okay. And so Pete had, sure. Pete was sort of the next person beside him. He said, well, I'm going to play this. And this is what it does. And so I think like, in terms of like all that discussion around rule zero conversation. You have, to go, you have to go specific, right? Like, how, like, how does it win? How does it win? How fast does it go? Yeah. You know, is it a Ferrari or is it a Prius? Yeah. And, yeah. And so, you know, and then the next player said, oh, I'm playing an Urza Precon with $20 invested in it. Or I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah, so that's going to be, you know... That's going to be very different power level than a Paco and Halden deck that is described as high power, and you and I both had a suspicion that high power was, that wasn't was, high power. It was, it was a CDH deck. And then I played... I don't remember what I played that particular game. You, you didn't even get to do anything. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. I, I, really, I pretty much got pants. But anyway, and then the other guy was playing the Frodo and Sam food deck. Yeah. Well, our friend who's won this Paco and Halden deck goes first... And one. turn one forest into an exploration, into a forest, into a mana crypt. And then into... Lotus, Lotus Blossom? Lotus Petal. Lotus Petal, and then down past come... Turn. Yeah, past turn. And Paco came down shortly thereafter. And Paco turned two, Guy's Cradle turned two. Yeah. Um, got Paco up very quickly. Yeah, Paco. Very, very big. Now, um, stole my Soul Ring as well. Yeah. I, I should have waited to at the end of the turn. But yes. I forgot that it's an on attack trigger for the fetch counters. Um, yeah. so I was able to take my ring, and it was a it was a rough game after that. Needless to say, after that, the game ended pretty promptly with Paco and Halden, Paco and Halden player running away with it. The thing is, he felt bad too. I mean, you could tell. Yeah, he, he wanted to have a good time, and he wanted to you know play at an appropriate level because it sucks to curb stop somebody, especially if you have a conscience. So um, obviously, he was uh, he was very very interested in playing other sorts of decks and he had a lot of fun with us i'd say um afterwards absolutely that was, that was great um we were able to give him like I, I let him borrow one of my decks and he ended up winning the second game we played with him and it was uh it was a lot of fun so yeah no so this the experience of having the the pub stomper show up and i think in this case what he wasn't intentionally pub stomping he didn't know quite where his deck fit right and consequently like that though, yeah right? A lot of people don't know what their deck is capable of doing, and um, when he when he didn't when he very quickly demonstrated that his deck was very powerful and was going to run away with this thing, we had you know it was it was pretty clear the the, the outcome was not in doubt. Sure. So, but it was nice to know like he was he was quite amenable to switching it off, switching off and playing something different. Um, 
He also had some really pretty cards in his deck. In his oh, deck. yeah. He had the one... <laughs> the, the, Mox, the Mox Diamond. The $1,000. The $1,000 Mox Diamond card. It was very pretty. Very pretty. Anyway. Um, then we move on to game two, which is one that I think is a, is a very interesting conversation here. Because this is the one... This is the, politi the political sort of five-man pod that we had mm. going. Through. Yes. So we had five public counter you were playing Megatron. Yes, I was playing Megatron. Uh, food deck was food deck again. Yeah. Uh, the other kid was playing one of my decks. Which yes. Was um, a parlay deck. Oh right, it was Fabine. It was Fabine parlay because I told him, listen, parlay is a nice mechanic to play with people you don't know because you get to see everybody's deck, and it's and you know you get to draw extra cards and make tokens and hit people in the face. So he was trying to figure out how to play the deck, and then um, I was playing Blanche. Because yeah. lunch is, it was what they picked, because I randomly yeah. had um, someone to pick. But it's also not a bad deck to play, because it's not, it's particularly, a friendly deck. It's not yeah. particularly aggressive, right? So people right, are going right. to feel like they can set up their board and not have their life total be attacked. And in a five-person game, that is a concern. People, Somebody's sitting there with a deck that you know can get out to a very early lead and just attack away and put somebody under pressure. Yeah. Um, now, the trouble we ran into this one is that two players ended up getting Smothering Tithe into play. I was one of them. Yep. And then the, and the food deck did too. And so that puts everybody at the table. The moment Southern Tide, the Ristic Study, or these, these taxation effects come into play, the table is now has is now put in a prisoner's dilemma. Everybody else has to agree that they're either going to pay the taxes to punish the player for um, putting this card that's now going to do nothing in their deck, yep. or nobody pays. Because yep. I made the tactical error of being responsible, normally would be right. Yeah, normal. The, the correct play normally would be to pay your taxes, to pay the smothering tithe, and as punishing as it was to pay four, I would rather pay four than watch my opponents ramp uncontrolled at the table. Yep. Unfortunately, not everyone at the table saw it that way. So the guy with the consecrated sphinx and the Kenrith five color deck, he just went ham. He and then drawing cards, but he didn't. He spun his wheels and did, didn't do it. He didn't even attack with it. No, he, he didn't. No, he didn't even attack. And I don't even know what he drew particularly because he had a full grip of a lot of cards, and I'm not sure that he really used that to great effectiveness. Um, and so anyway, in the in couple of turn sequences after Smothering Tide was, was came down, I I made the, the conscious choice to pay the to pay my my taxes to Smothering Tide, and hamstrung my ability to to further my own board state. Um, where other guys decided not to do so. Right. And what ended up happening, I, I didn't even get another turn before, you know, craziness ensued yep. because I had paid my taxes and I would limit so a board state. at this point, I had about 10 treasures, I'd say, and, yeah. and the food player must have had about 15, 20. And then some number of food tokens, and too. Some number of food tokens. So I had, I just, I was drawing all the cards as well because I had smuggled a share on the battlefield. Pretty early in the game, and I and I go and shout. I was you know politicking with Blanche, and um, I had some other permits out there that were allowed me to just kind of sit back, and uh, it got ugly because I had Virgin Rebel out mm -hmm. eventually too. Every time people were drawing cards, I was also drawing cards, um, ripping through my deck. I, I ended up winning that game because I played approach of the second time, and nobody could respond to me casting the second time, um, and it was difficult because. Most of the players who decided not to pay were, 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 were punished so bad that, like, if they didn't pay for the player with the food token, they, they didn't, 
they also wouldn't pay for me. And once I got rid of his smuggling pipe, nobody paid for me anyway at this point. So it was like I was so far ahead. In a deck that's not meant to go that fast. Well, it certainly went fast that day. <laughs> it did. I, so I guess what we're trying to say is nobody was wrong in their decision-making. It was more so not optimal for the table to pay at this time because of all the... Like, it, would, it probably would be better to just try to dig for a board wipe of everything. Yeah. Than to... Uh, because let him have the treasures, right? Like, once I played Viridian Rebel, he just kept... My other player kept stacking his... He he did, and it was it was crazy. And yeah. I've never seen a player sit there with so many cards. And like we mentioned, I think Pete was legitimately concerned he was going to get decked here. Um, so yeah, so it it does present the, the the classic prisoner's dilemma that either everybody cooperates or nobody cooperates, and we didn't communicate. I, There's I, no politicking of any kind, really. Well, that was the thing. We didn't really have a lot of politicking at the table because. Everybody was very dynamically different. Yeah, dynamically very different. No one had a, a lot of previous history with one another. So with no pre shared previous history, um, the everyone's getting to know each other and feeling out the situation. And so the politicking was really at a low. A low. So I didn't feel comfortable saying, okay, boys, we all need to pay our taxes or else these two guys are going to run away with it. Right. And I thought I had agreed, uh, had, had, a, had, a, had a, someone who's, uh, who's going to be on my side with the, with the Kenrith deck. Because he started by paying his taxes too. He did, and I was like, "Okay, good. So this is what we're going to do." And but as we progressed, it became very clear that that was not. He drew. He drew his consecrated sphinx, and it was on. Yep. It was on like Donkey Kong, and he was just going to draw all the cards. And I'm like, "Well, never mind. I just should have. I should have given up at that juncture, and I didn't. But nah, it was horrible how you, how you got removed from the game. <laughs> well, I did survive. The was it? A, there was a big attack. Throwing at me by somebody. Yeah, you were at one. I mean, it was a three. I was a three okay. life, three okay. life, uh, but I had managed to stave off being the, the attack yeah. just long enough to, and I had two creatures, two artifact creatures on the board, um, and that's where when the player followed up with damnation, I lost my two creatures, yeah. and the magnetic mind triggered, and I was dead, and I'm like, I've never died in quite like that to a damnation before. <laughs> I'm like, oh, because it was probably one of the most underwhelming damnations. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was funny because it was like the only reason he did it was because I had more creatures than everybody else at that point, and I think the other player to my right also had a few bigger creatures than, than the player who played Damnation had, and he was concerned about the amount of damage he was potentially going to take. So it was interesting. Like that was a fun game, though, like memorable in, in the way. It was certainly memorable. It was. Um, moving on. Um, our final part. Well, I we, we, we want to talk about the bluffing. Okay, yeah, so yeah. we'll talk about bluffing because there's so our food player was was, was very awesome dude. I had a number of hilarious French guy. Yeah, f f lovely and a lovely good dude to play. Like, like I would play with him any night again. Only night. Um, and so he was, but he was very animated. So when he started getting his turn and things started to snowball, this guy would start to Get talk faster and faster and faster and faster. And it was pretty funny. And. What was very clear that he had a whole series of game actions pl planned out in his head that he was going to take. Then we had the opposite player, who was more of like snake at the wheel. Um, we played a game, a third player man pod with him uh, after this five man, and he had, I had accidentally stumbled into a combo in my red deck, and we had to read this card about four times um, to understand what was happening in the deck, and then also. Um, in that particular game, if we're going to stay with mm -hmm. that, uh, I don't think he was paying attention much. Uh, yes, because it happened I twice. It happened twice because there was once when uh, 
uh, during the Fabian the Fabian player went for a finale of devastation. And he had to, and he, he went, went to go get hoof. When he went to create hoof. He went through the deck. He actually asked me because he never played the deck. Yeah. He had hoof in the deck. I was like, yes. Because um, he was going to find out what's common knowledge at the point. Um, but he asked, like, and he puts the hoof on the table, does all the math, and then the other player goes, well, I have a response, but I guess I'll just let it go. And I'm like, if I was going to see Finale on the board and you were a blue player, wouldn't you, and you had a response, wouldn't you... Swan song or something? Pay attention? Yeah. Because I think you said he had packed the negation. He had packed the negation. He admitted to me after the fact that he had packed the negation in hand, which would have changed the dynamics of the game tremendously. Because then that player had, he ended up killing two players. Yes. And then he ended up, they got scooped. Yeah. Um, which, what he would have done probably is, killed the two players, left me alive, and then I would have probably won just out of sure value. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see, to see people bluff or not pay attention and we had versus like when Nick came to play with us. Yeah, your buddy. He was very he was taking game actions, but he was very he was very smart, deliberate about what yeah, he was doing. Yeah, smart and deliberate, and there was no there was no telltale bluffing or giving away of like tells of what was coming or what was in his hand. Us, of course. Yeah, yeah. I, I do that too, right? Like we've been playing long enough; we're pretty good at bluffing, I'd say. Well, you're better than me, I think. Yeah, I mean, I had to play with Mason, yeah. my good buddy. So well, Mason stopped enough of us. So. <laughs> But I guess my point is like it comes with time. Yes. Like, there's anything we learn today, it's it is taking us a long time to block. Because I used to get really excited too. I mean a lot of times I would get really mad, right? And I would have it and I would get really upset at someone's game. Like if someone played at CDH that deck with me three years ago, I would have been really, really frustrated, like one of the players at our table who was just saying, This is this is terrible, I hate this, this is awful. Um, so we have what? We've got the pup stomper, the well, the first possible player was very okay. interesting. He was a very interesting cat, that guy. Sure. Because he saw the, the, the Paco and Halden deck, at, and he was the one who was on the Urza deck, and he goes, oh, I know what I'm playing next. Mm-hmm. And he had this, and he, and he had a Slicer deck, which is, there is a Slicer deck that is a Slicer CEDH list, or high-powered list, and it can do a lot of damage very quickly. Right. Um, and he's like, well, I know what I'm doing next, as if, like, as if it really mattered. Right. <laughs> I'm like okay, I'm like okay, man, like uh, whatever. Then we had our, our excitable player, our guy who was super stoked to take a million game actions. <laughs> and then we had the guy who was, you know, kind of a, kind of like asleep at the wheel. Like, do I or do I not? Like, do the thing. Yeah. I I remember with like, with you, he was like, he wanted you to see. There was an interaction where like you were doing something and he wanted to see what you were doing with it before he responded. I was like, just what? pick one. Yeah, just pick one because like. If I have priority and I'm saying, hey, I'm going to potentially make a copy of this, and then you keep asking me, well, are you going to make a copy of it? Then, no, I'm going to make a copy of this other value creature because I know you have some kind of response. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't want to lose that one. I'll, yeah, this so, other one's derpy. So it, it, yeah, so it took it took us a good maybe two minutes or so. I think it was more than that. It felt like a good four or five minutes of, of negotiating oh. and conversation back and forth yeah. where he asked you, which one are you targeting? You said, well... I ended up doing the targeting and ended up... It didn't matter. He didn't did respond. Making a funny... I had a funny sort of like game yeah. action for it, but... I don't know. I guess... I guess you got to pick and choose your battles, right? Yeah. And then we had you coach coach the other guy through. After Paco and Halden guy was done and you lent him a deck, you had to coach him through how to play it. Which was funny, like, because the deck is very simple. It's basically get out your expensive commander by ramping, uh, parlay as many times as you can, make a bunch of tokens... Swing for damage, very simple, easy to play. Most people pick it up pretty quickly. 
what's synergistic in the deck and what it's meant to do. And then there was poor me, the punching bag. Yeah. <laughs> just got yeah, stomped yeah. All, all day. But anyway, yeah, it was so fun. Overall, though, I mean, all the guys you played with, they were, they were a lot of fun. It was fun. It was, really good. It was lovely. It. it was a great afternoon and uh, a great experience. I was a little concerned going into the LGS that it was going to be much less pleasant. I felt like, as well, like, especially because it's a uh, holiday off and most people are not working or whatever, they've come to play. You know what I mean? Yeah, agreed. Come to play. Now, Let's talk about some of the silly cards we saw. <laughs> there were some silly cards we've seen. All right, so um, I would say the first card that I thought was pretty silly, I thought was pretty impactful, is uh, was uh, Shire Sheriff, which That's is card. exactly. But this is like You're a dyslexic. You don't even know. No, unfortunately. I no, I, I. Well, I'm not dyslexic. I'm saying, I'm saying, if you if you are, you're messed up. It's difficult, right? Like, yeah. Just, I think they're messing with their minds. I think so, too. Um, so, anyway, there's an O-ring effect on a creature where you sack a token to it and O-ring a thing, and it was very good. Yeah. I was impressed by this card. It's only two mana, I believe, and it comes down and does the thing, and it's surprisingly effective. Um, not silly, but just, just really effective at what it does. It's super efficient, and especially if you can flicker it and you have tokens available, yeah. you're, you're doing okay. Yeah. Um, the second two cards are older, um, and... They, again, are cards we'd probably play if we were playing the food deck. Mm -hmm. Our process is an old card from... Um, a long time ago. Let me double check. It's... Because I know the art. It was a saga. Yeah, it was a saga is the original. Is that what it was Gears? It was a saga. It was Gears. It was Gears. Sorry, folks. And the seventh edition is the other one. The art is, is pretty graphic, pretty cool. So if you're, you like the yellow kind of art from those old cards, uh, definitely pick up a copy just for that. But it's... A four mana sorcery, sacrifice any number of artifacts, creatures, and lands, and draw a card for each permit and sacrifice this way. So I'm going to see like that likes to sacrifice literally everything. Um, so when I kept it with Bruce, we were messing with it. I drew like five cards in the turn, just by attacking like three tokens in the land and a two crappy creature. I think it was, I think it was five, at least five. So five, five, for, five cards for four mana yeah. and four permits that you don't care about is a ridiculous rate. Right. And that effect is... is, is is on a much more contemporary card. So, like, what do we got here? What is this one? And then God Eternal Bontu does the same thing. It's just a creature and a creature, and it's a 5 6 of menace that dies when it dies, which is the key. I don't think to look that three times in the game because it died about three from the top, and I just draw into it, play it again. So, that was kind of cool. Um, these are cards that you could consider, and they're not, not going to break the bank. Alright, God Eternal Bontu is like $3, unless you want to get the fancy versions of it. And the cost about five, so it's not too great. Yeah, no, and very, very impactful cards. Um, we saw Mark of Eviction. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark of Eviction. So Nick was playing the Estrid Precon uh, that's been, you know, amended and adjusted a little bit. But um, the card is so weird. But yeah. it works. So Mark of Eviction is, let's go have a quick look at it's it. One blue. Yeah, one blue. Tomorrow. I'm from the Queen Rabbit. No, it's from the original Ravnica. From the original OG. Okay. So Mark of Eviction is from City Ra City Ravnica City of Guilds. It is a single blue for an aura. It says Enchant Creature. At the beginning of your upkeep, return Enchanted Creature and all auras attached to that creature to their owner's hand. So this was used <laughs> as a way, a repeated way to bounce things. And draw cards. And draw cards. And so he would play it, and you knew your creature, your token, whatever, was going to imminently get bounced back to your hand. And then it triggered about... Eight things <laughs> we saw here. We had trigger, 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 trigger. Yeah, and uh, but very effective. 
Yeah, there, there we go. Never <laughs> been one of those. Might, 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 might yet. But um, <laughs> so very effective card. Seventeen cents. Seventeen cents for for a really sweet inclusion in uh, in a band colored enchantress deck. Um, or as you can find, if you have a deck that's recurring enchantments, this is just really, really cute little simple way to generate a lot, probably generate pretty good mana value for you. So it costs a single blue, whatever target you're putting it on, is probably going to invariably cost more mana. Right. And you're going to be able to, you know, bounce it back to their hand, and then they're going to be wondering, what do I do now? That's how I felt um, when that card was put on me when I had two lands out and I was missing land drops. Yeah. So it was... It was neat. I appreciate Nick for playing it. Um, the final interaction that we'll talk about is Nils, generous patron. Um, Nils, Nils is from uh, one of the commander sets, I believe. Oh, I think it's Strixhaven Commander. It's from Commander 2021, actually, surprisingly enough. Um, it's having a creature human cleric. I believe you have that for each player. Put a possible score up to one player creature that player controls. Each creature will be able to counter that it can't attack or replace by control unless the controller pays X. Makes a number of counters on that creature. In general's patron, um, many people might have, might have played that during um, conspiracy. Battlebond. Battlebond? It was the same section, but whatever. I don't remember much about that set beyond the weird cards they printed right. Um, it, it, it supports two, you can put two counters on the When you put one more counters on a creature, you don't control draw a card. So with Grunch, Generous Patron, and Mills out, I was drawing like four, four cards of Iron Step. Yep. And then people couldn't attack me, so it was kind of funny um, how that worked. He's very effective at making as a, as a another form of pillow fort. Um, so, you know, people often assume it's closely prison and propaganda and things of the like, but this creates a very effective way to make it difficult for your opponents to attack you. Yeah. <clears throat> so if you're a deck that doesn't want the... To go to combat very frequently and doesn't want people coming after you through combat. This is another yet another way to sort of MacGyver a way to make your opponents not uh, engage in combat with you. The other thing too is like our ring temptation is becoming largely more prevalent. Yes. If you're going to be bolstering and you're not bolstering, you can't really bolster. But generous patron and males putting counters and making them larger and making your little weenies unblockable. With the ring is actually pretty good too. You can be uh, you run the you run the risk then if you're you uh, might get the crack back pretty bad. Too. Yeah, but I think uh, I think the potential is there for some really interesting gameplay. And then this combination of cards we saw in our final game together mm. with Nick. Yes. In that game, I'd like you to explain that because it was your interaction that caused the game to be a draw. Yeah, I ended up as a draw. So the situation was this: I was playing Slogurk, and if anybody's familiar with Slogurk, it's a it's a, a Simic colored. Lands matters deck, and the react the what what I had so I had some of the key pieces on the board included um, a Lotus Cobra, I had a Tyler's Provisioner, um, I had we had an AC at one point, but that I had I didn't have AC, but I had Slogurk. Yeah, you know, the one that makes the treasure of the food. That was Provi Tyler's Provisioner. So yeah. and then I cast uh, was the Sphinx of Uthun. Yeah. So essentially a factor fiction on a creature, yeah. and. Uh, Nick separated them out, but included um, Zurin Orb and three lands in one pile, and the other one I don't forgot. The, I forgot what the fifth card was. Yeah. So I took the pile of Zurin Orb, knowing that that interacts very favorably with my commander. So I played the Zurin Orb, I played the land for turn, and then I, which again triggered Lotus Cobra, triggered a tr triggered a treasure token, and then 
I sacked all my lands to the I sacked all my lands to the Zurin Orb and was able to Splendid Reclamation them back into play, making a giant pile of treasure and, yeah. and Lotus Cobra triggers. And I had an Echo of Eons, because Walk another the eons. Walk the Eons yeah. as a in my hand, and the potential that I could have an infinite turn combo here. And I didn't understand the the the, the route to the to it. And in fact, I didn't I didn't actually have the infinite combo in hand, but I was I wasn't far off. Mm -hmm. I was close enough that I'm like we're, we're we, all three of us are really are looking intently at it. And I didn't quite understand. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of infinite combos with Walk the Eons and Slogurk um, and and related cards. So often, like Walk the Eons and Azusa Lost was sleep, Lost the most Seeking, one, yeah. and um, you know things like that. You have the ability to get a lot of your take infinite turns and eventually win the game. Yeah. Now, I wasn't quite there. I was missing a couple of pieces. To make it all work um, as seamlessly as we're describing, but I was worth us all sitting down. I didn't quite understand what the route to an infinite combo was going to be. It's been a few months since I played the deck. Um, I very clearly, intentionally put some of these cards in the deck for a combo. For a combo, yeah. and then didn't understand how my combo worked. Uh, now, at the same, and this by the same token, Pete was sitting there with Glunch, and Glunch had now created a situation where. He was uh, hexproof because he had Shalai and privileged position on the battlefield. He had nils on the battlefield, meaning that anything that had a counter on it. You had to pay five. Had to pay average because of ghostly prison as well. Yeah, so ghostly prison and nils. So my slow group, which was now an arc, like, very large, would have had to cost an astronomical amount of mana just to attack. So that was, it was pretty much like, we were locked out of attacking Pete. I also had two board wipes in my. Well, that, that, that may matter, be a matter, too. Right. And meanwhile, Nick is sitting there with on his Calamax deck that's full of combat tricks. Neither Nick nor I are able to punch through and knock out Pete, who's in the the advantage position here, very clearly, as the, uh, in the front running. Um, I had this huge spike in power level all of a sudden. I'm like, can I can I leave resist to, to, to either knock Pete off his pedestal or to even maybe win the game outright? And I wasn't quite able to do it. And so we sort of decreed, rather than trying to muddle through the whole thing, because it would have been, you know, several more 20-minute spends of game actions just to call it a call it a feat, call it done and move on with life. But it was pretty neat to, to see it and illustrates the point that I need to know how my combo works <laughs> if I'm going to play it. Because I had even I even had a card called Steel Steelfin Whale mm -hmm. in my combo that had a tap and on tap ability. So you could tap it and then untap it if an artifact came into play. And again, I was looking at it like, that's a combo piece. What is it comboing with? And I eventually figured it out. But bottom line is, folks, if you're going to put a combo in your deck, <laughs> you probably need to know how it works. Otherwise, you look a little silly. And it was a great discussion for the three of us to sit around like, what 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 are you? What the heck is going on? What what are you doing? And then we actually looked through Bruce's deck, and we're like, hmm, that might have done it. That might have helped, or whatever. But it's it's funny because we were three guys that don't are okay, but I know Bruce a little bit better than that. I didn't know Nick, but we're in high school. Where like 
how silly this game can be. Yeah, absolutely. It can be like just doing some strange things together. For sure. So it was really, it was really, it was a fun, fun thing. Even though I didn't win, I feel a little foolish for not knowing my combo worked. It was a, it was a good, positive experience, even with the combo. All right, it's good. Yeah. Should we wrap it up now? Yeah, I think we've been talking for a while. We've been talking for a while. <laughs> so all right, all right, folks. So thanks very much. Um, as always, if you want to get a hold of us, check the show notes. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, if you want us to do more in-person stuff, then maybe next time uh, when I go down to Pete, we can do more live episodes. Um, <laughs> but at the very least, we'll make sure that we get our regular content out to you guys. Um, so with that being said, thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have fun wherever you next play Magic. And uh, I guess stay cool because I think it's hot. Stay cool. And if you have any things you want to discuss on the podcast, any topics, we're always looking for suggestions and recommendations. Alright, thanks everybody. Bye!